episode of The Goods, a film podcast. I'm Dan, and I have Brian here with me. Hey, Brian. <laughs> Is that your, your bear roar? Yes, I'm going feral <laughs> because it's bear week here on The Goods. Yeah, we hope you'll be able to bear us in all of our bear talk because we're doing a, a bear-themed episode. You know, maybe this would have been a good theme month, bears. Not just an episode, but a month, Brian. What else would you have thrown on there? Well, we already talked about the Care Bears movie. That's true, yeah. Isn't there like the the Country Farm Bears? Is that what it's called? Oh, yeah, the Country Bears. That's got Christopher Walken in it. Um, there is... I just had one on the tip of my tongue. Kung Fu Panda? Oh, of course there is Kung Fu Panda. The one I was thinking of was Paddington mm, and Paddington 2. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good stuff, but this week... I've tentatively titled this episode Amazing World of Bears. Oh, you're not going to call it the Bear Witch Project? Oh, you like Bear Witch Project? That's good, too. Yeah. Amazing World of Bears is pretty good, too, though. I like that. It's a a little bit of an in-joke for long-time goods listeners. Um, Bear Top Secret. I sent one to you. I can't remember. What did I say? Of course, if I search bear, there's going to be a a thousand. (laughs) I don't know. I I had a couple in there. Lots of good options. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So anyways, yeah, so we're going to use the the format of an episode that Brian pioneered and has used, I think, twice called Violent Ends. And so a Violent Ends episode of The Goods is where we take two films that have similar premises, at least kind of in their opening halves, and then divert into very different outcomes. And the two movies we're going to be discussing are the documentary Bears, released in 2014 by the Disney Nature Studio, and the 2005 documentary Grizzly Man, directed by Werner Herzog about conservationist and bear documentarian Timothy Treadwell and his horrifying fate living with the bears and documenting the bears. So, Brian, had you seen either of these going into this week? No, these were new to me. I knew a little bit about Grizzly Man. Yeah, I had never seen either of these also. Both were pretty high on my to-watch list. And then, Brian, you actually came up with the idea of this. I I think you were half-joking at the time, but a Violent Ends episode where we discussed these two movies. So, as much as I wish I could take credit for this idea, it was your idea. I have to say... Considering how little I knew about the movies, they were there was more in common than I expected. The, the threads were tighter than, than it could have been. It ended up working out. Yeah. So one thing kind of feeding into the selection of this is that I love bears. I'm really fascinated with bears. And Brian and I have talked a lot about bears. Mainly, I told him I like bears and he sends me lots of bear related ephemera memes and pictures and videos and i'm here for it all the time so we needed to talk bears at some point i'm glad we're talking bears there's a lot of great bear content available online yeah i recently joined a facebook group called just call the hearse because i know i'm going to die trying to pet that thing (laughs) and it's just people who are passionate about dangerous animals but a lot of bears in the mix 
Yeah. And one of the memes that gets shared the most is close-ups on their little puffy ear tufts. Mm. And usually the caption is something along the lines of, if not friend, why friend shaped? <laughs> oh, man. I think Timothy Treadwell would have been in that Facebook group if he had been around in the Facebook years. <laughs> Pour one out for Timothy Treadwell. He missed out on Facebook groups. Yeah. So... Before we dive into the movies, let's let's unpack my bear fascination a little bit more. Uh, I can't exactly say why I like bears so much. I definitely would call them my favorite animal. Flamingos are up there, too. I really dig flamingos. But there's something about bears. They kind of have like playful dog energy to them, but they're also very clearly wild animals. There's also just something kind of dopey and almost doleful about them. I don't think of them as particularly smart animals. I mean, I guess they probably are. They're not like particularly cute or charming animals. They're just kind of big doofus carnivores that just kind of hang out and do things. And sometimes they look kind of humanish in the way they do things, which adds to the charm. But I don't know. Do you have any overarching theories on bears or opinions on bears, Brian? I do. My bear philosophy is that they're kind of the default mammal. Like any other mammal is like a exaggerated form of a bear, I think. <laughs> they, you know, they're, they're furry, they're stocky, they don't have long tails, they don't have long ears. It's, it's just kind of all compact, but you got all the key mammal features. So when God installed the mammal driver on his Earth software, that was like the default setting was bear. He had yeah. to tweak it. Uh, Every other mammal was just like a patch. Yeah, it's like when you open up the character creator, starts with bear, okay. and then, yeah, he got a bunch of sliders. I think my obsession with bears started around 2005 when I was a junior or senior in high school. There is a YouTube video that I think is still up. I don't know if it's the same one I watched or if it's a copy. There's one that claims to have been there for 15 years, so that would put it after this. So maybe this is a repost or maybe I'm wrong on my timeline, but... It's called Trampoline Bear. And this is just a clip from what I think is a news show. It might be like a comedy show where they have news clips. And there's this guy who says, oh, I wish I had the full transcript in front of me. I used to know it verbatim, but he's like, bear, trampoline, tranquilizer dart, comedy. And it shows this bear got stuck in a tree and he gets shot by a tranquilizer dart by an animal control officer and then just hilariously like dead boned falls out completely limp body and hits a trampoline bounces up halfway back up the tree and then lands off the trampoline like flat on its neck and it's just like the funniest i mean i'm sure it sucked for the bear but they they add on at the end of the clip that the bear was ultimately okay but there's just a terrific sense of slapstick in that one little clip. And that was like w one of my first watch on loop, never stop laughing YouTube clips. It's just it's it's gold every time. Have you ever seen that one, Brian? <laughs> I have. Yeah. Yeah. Ver very enjoyable. Very succinct. There is a genre of YouTube video I've heard described on Reddit as YouTube haiku. And I think that qualifies it's just a, a funny snippet that's like 
less than 10 seconds long. I guess that's the whole driving idea behind like Vine and TikTok. Yeah. A little bit of TikTok, but I think TikTok can go a little longer. Right. So I think that kind of planted the seed for me with bears. And then sometime several years later, I started following the sports blog Deadspin. And they would occasionally have Bear Friday, where they would just post a random bear video or picture on Fridays. You know, sports blog throwing some random bear content in there. It was speaking my language. And that's when bears really became a thing for me. It's like I, I always enjoyed Bear Fridays. And I knew that I, I had to keep up with uh, my bear content. And another forum I found was the subreddit r slash bears doing human things brian you should go subscribe to that one if you haven't already there's a lot of things of like bears you know look opening the mailbox to check their mail or leaning up against the railing of a deck looking like their dad sipping a beer at a barbecue or something just lots of good stuff with uh bears doing human things that's awesome yeah one that i will point you to dan there's a webcomic by the same artist who made Axe Cop called Bearmageddon. Okay. And it's about a apocalypse brought on by mutant bears. Oh, man. And there's like a lot of just big, pretty standard bears, but then there's also like octopus bears and just <laughs> all kinds of different bears. And then the, the humans holding up amidst the bear onslaught. That's That's pretty good. I would definitely read it. And then, of course, the pipeline of, of good bear content has continued as Brian always sends me his his memes and his pictures and stuff. So I, I appreciate it, too. So thank you for that, Brian. Oh, you're welcome. But let's dive into the movies here. Uh, Bears by Disney Nature and Grizzly Man. So the premise here, documentaries tracing bears. OK, that much I knew. What I didn't know is that both of them take place in I think it's pronounced Katmai National Park. It's in Alaska. It's where and they, they both movies happen to center around the same kind of bear in this national park. It's actually not a grizzly bear, believe it or not. The movie Grizzly Man doesn't go out of its way to point this out. But what they call grizzlies are not grizzly bears. They are brown bears. And it's the same type of bear covered in the the bears documentary by Disney Nature. Although it seemed like on Wikipedia, at least, there was some discrepancy over what a grizzly bear actually is. Really? Interesting. It seemed like it. Like, it's some subset of brown bear, but it didn't seem like there was a consensus. Okay. Like, it seems like there are different schools of thought. Not everyone agrees on what a grizzly bear is. Okay. So grizzly is kind of like mumblecore. It's debatable what, what it is and what it isn't, you know? There's some sh there's some agreement on the shared traits, but no 100% consensus on a firm boundary. Yes. What kind of bear is the most mumblecore? Dan? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't think the grizzly. The grizzly's too showy, too aggressive. Maybe like a uh, little black bear that lives in the Appalachian Mountains or something like that. Okay. Or the sloth bear from India, maybe. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. So yeah, it was pretty interesting to see the way that these movies connected and certainly the ways they diverged. I mean, Grizzly Man will see is a little bit more about the man than the bears. Um, although it certainly had commentary on bears and obviously bears by Disney nature is 
what we think of when we think of nature documentaries where it follows, you know, follows these animals from the outside when we don't even see any human filmers until you get to the credits where they have like a couple of making of shots of like the director setting it up. But um, that's one thing I want to talk about is just how transparent the, the filming is in the, the Bears documentary. Um, Brian, are you ready to hop into these two movies? Any other preliminary thoughts? No, I'm ready. I will say that both films managed to surprise me in different ways. <laughs> you'll you'll hear a surprise here right off the bat. That's right. So I'm going to talk about the the movie just titled Bears. I'm going to call it Disney Nature for the sake of this podcast because just bears. It's it's ambitious of a movie to claim all of bears as its focus. I guess that kind of follows the Disney nature template. So I'll say that I pulled up bears on Disney Plus and it said you might also like Disney nature polar bears and also Disney nature bear witness, which is an entire other documentary about the making of Disney nature polar bears. Yeah, so I read about Disney Nature. I didn't know anything about them. Um, I think their most famous film, I don't know if they filmed it or just sponsored it, but the the March of the Penguins, they were involved with. I, I don't think they're actually the studio behind it, but they do. It looks like about uh, a film every year or every other year, and they get a budget of like 5 or $10 million, and then they do a limited release of it. And each time they release it on Earth Day... And they focus on like one type of animal typically. And then recently they've been doing making of documentaries as a part of it. So you're right. The, the polar bear had the bear witness. And the one before that was called Elephant, not to be confused with the Gus Van Sant film. But Elephant uh, in the making of that one was called In the Footsteps of Elephant. Oh, man, that could be our next double feature. <laughs> Disney Nature Elephant and Gus Van Sant's Elephant. Have you seen that one, by the way? I, I have seen that one, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. A little more divergent there than we have here, even, I would say. I also like when you look up the list of Disney Nature films, they have the table of all the movies they've made includes, like, the... The name of the film, the release date, but then the next column is narrator. And so it's fun to just scroll down and see all the different narrators of the film. And I think that's a good segue to, I, I did it, Brian. I got you. First time ever. Dan got Brian with a surprise John C. Riley. First time. John C. Riley is the narrator of this film. And <laughs> what I want to know, Dan, is at what point did you know that? <laughs> I was uh, tossing around ideas for for episodes that I could pick in the near future. And uh, this was one that, that I had been pondering and I kind of looked up the movies. And when I saw that John C. Riley was the narrator, I knew I had to do it as soon as possible so that I could, cause we had been talking about a uh, surprise John C. Riley. And then we did a, a John C. Riley film just now, just last week. And I knew I had to get it in there. So it was, it was, it was fairly recently I realized it, but that put it right at the top of my list of, of episode ideas. Yeah, it really got me. I started it. I was trying to think through whether I was just imagining it. It's like, is that him? And then he started like doing voices for the bears. And it's like, yep, that's him. <laughs> so you didn't even know it was him when you hit play. 
no like the it got through i mean from the first line like it sounded familiar but i thought maybe after watching walk hard and then the like extended walk hard that maybe i just had him on the brain but then i gradually put it together yeah yeah listeners you'll recall there's a recurring bit uh where brian will pick a movie and unbeknownst to me john c Riley will be in it and what are some of the movies that have had surprise John C. Rileys so far, Brian? So I would say Boogie Nights falls into that category, and also Chicago. He plays pretty prominent supporting roles in both of those. And then, of course, we featured him heavily in last week's episode, the music biopic parody Walk Hard. That has been a lot of fun, and... Uh... Uh, it was extremely satisfying for me to get you and, and for me to just see your reaction as you discovered it and you messaged me about it. So it was well done. I would say having Riley as the narrator of this adds a layer to this film. He's very good at saying specific words. The word itchy, he describes an itchy bear. And I don't know why, but I feel like that's the best that the word itchy has ever been said by anyone. It describes a bear scratching himself like two thirds of the way into the movie. But I, I think working on a documentary like this, like for Disney nature, where they have a consistent budget and they're, they're going out there and filming this beautiful stuff and would be pretty much a dream job. If you like making nature documentaries or if you like nature and, and, and stuff like that, because man, do they get to go out there and capture some absolutely beautiful footage? Yeah. It's really breathtaking. And I did like those little shots that we get in the credits of them out doing their thing, capturing some of it. It made me think of the wild thornberries. Did you ever watch that back in the day? Yeah, yeah, that's a good connection. Where it's it's a family that they go around making nature documentaries and, and the dad is the host of the show and the mom is the cinematographer. So the, the premises we're, we're following in this, it's a pretty short movie, it's only 77 minutes. We're following a family of Alaskan brown bears, debatably grizzlies, I suppose, with this mother bear named Skye. And she has two cubs, a male named Scout and a female named Amber. But these are the names that the documentary prescribes to these bears. And I would say that was another thing that really struck me is... In Grizzly Man, we're going to get there, but it really kind of deconstructs this idea of the way that we humans name wild animals. And so even at the moment we were watching this, I was like, why did they call it Sky? Who came up with that? Does that actually bear any significance to the essence of this bear and the way that we as humans think of this bear and certainly not the way this bear thinks of itself, if the bear even does think of itself? Were you spending any time thinking about the fact that these bears and these animals were all named in the documentary, Brian? Well, I knew this was going to come up. I'll just say it here. I've thought for years that we need to get to the point where the animals are making the documentaries. Otherwise, the story is inauthentic. It's always going to be from a human frame of reference. But I want the bear to tell the bear's story. I think you could strap a camera onto a bear and get it to film harder to get them to edit. Right. That's that's a good point, because one thing that's not really clear as we watch this, we don't see any cameramen, but we get really up close shots. And it's not clear to me how present these people were in the bears lives. Like, did, 
I guess the Bears saw the filmmakers. You couldn't have gotten this close without the Bears knowing that they were being followed by a team of humans. Could you? I don't think so. There's definitely some interesting compare and contrast between these two movies that we'll get into as we talk about what Grizzly Man is. But, like, just think about the budget that Disney's working with. Like, they've got all kinds of equipment. They can probably get some fancy, you know, zoom lenses and... They can set up all kinds of trail cams and infrared if they wanted to. I don't think we get that in this movie, but like they, they just have all these resources of a mega corporation. And, you know, maybe Timothy Treadwell has to get a little closer because he doesn't have that kind of budget to work with. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. He's bootstrapping it. So anyways, we have these these bears, Sky and the babies, Scout and Amber. And the movie's going to trace essentially the first year of Scout and Amber's life. We get a little bit of an opening monologue about like the danger and darkness of bear life and how bears have a pretty low survival rate and how it's pretty brutal living in this Alaskan wilderness, laying some groundwork. In. And, you know, it basically said there's every newborn bear has about a 50% survival rate to the end of the first year, which means if we have two baby bears, there's only a 25% chance that both of those bears survive i don't think disney would have shown this movie if both of them didn't survive i, I think they would have scrapped the footage and said we're gonna come back and film a different fam bear family next year i agree like they kind of tease that out it's like oh 50 and there's two of them it's like people are not gonna come to your disney bear movie if this has anything other than a happy ending guys right <laughs> The bears leave hibernation. We get a little bit of a timeline as the movie goes along. So like sometime around April or so, they leave hibernation to traverse the snowy peaks of this uh, this Alaskan National Park. This is the first moment where I lost my breath due to the beauty of the footage. I just got a new iPad that's a bigger screen. And I like stopped my chores and stared at this for like 60 seconds. It's like drone footage of this huge sprawling mountainscape so lovely and man it made me want to go out there and it it's it's some absolutely incredible footage of this this national park lots of like you said really cool variety in like the angles like some of it's up close different depths of field some of it's high some of it's low some real artistry i would say in the the capturing of this footage Right. One of my favorite things to look at is snow that nobody has stepped in yet. Mm -hmm. It just looks really magical if you have this huge expanse of flat, untouched snow. Right. And so as they're kind of wandering these snowy peaks, kind of descending them, there's a lot of cool things only semi-related to the bears that we get to see in this. Um, one is there's an avalanche. So the bears need to kind of survive this avalanche. After they do, they get down to the valley below. And it's pretty amazing. It goes from like an Arctic looking uh, landscape to now just a very, uh, something much more temperate. You got like swamps and uh, tides going up and down and all sorts of plant life and stuff. Pretty interesting here. And, and we meet some of the other animals. There's a snow wolf who kind of follows them around named Takani or named by the documentarians as Takani. There's a dominant male named Magnus and a kind of a smaller, older wildcard male named Chinook. 
one thing the movie says without really like spending too long pondering is that basically all of these other animals are just as desperate for food as Sky and Scout and Amber are and would not hesitate to eat the baby cubs. It's kind of a dark thing to to just flat out state in a documentary like this. Like basically these are other animals, including bear, other bears that are essentially hunting Scout and Amber right now. It's a bear eat bear world. That's right. That image would be revisited in Grizzly Man. But throughout this spring, we see Amber and Scout trying different sources of food. There's one bit I really like where they're hunting clams and Scout gets a clam stuck on his claw. And John C. Riley gets to do like a, a comic little monologue about imagining himself as the, the bear with the clam stuck on his claw and like what he would be thinking if he were a bear with a clam stuck on his claw. <laughs> It goes on for a while. Yeah. It was really caught on there. There's another good one where Magnus is pursuing, I don't know if it's Sky or another female, and he talks about how whether or not Magnus has game with the females that also made me laugh pretty hard. Um, there is one point where they kind of clash with Chinook, one of these other bears, and Sky loses track of Scout, and so does the documentary crew. At least we don't see Scout for a while. And just for like a moment, for like maybe six seconds, I did briefly consider, are they just going to like have an off screen death of Scout, like a layer of sadness? Because it did play it up as a very real possibility. But Scout is recovered before before the end of that scene would have definitely been a very had a different uh, feel for the film if that had happened. Right. They, they tease it, though. Yeah, they made it seem like maybe. But I wasn't convinced. <laughs> I was expecting he would pop up. And then the summer wears on. We get towards the summer portion of the year and they're desperately hunting for salmon. I thought I noticed that the bears were looking kind of gaunt and skinny. Like it definitely seems like survival is not easy out there in, in the wilderness. But eventually they find some salmon. They feast upon it. We get some fun slow-mo shots of salmon doing their upstream swim thing and like hopping out of the air. Some funny shots of uh, the bears trying to grab the salmon, but sometimes it bumps into their nose and stuff. This was another cool segment. Lots of slow-mo video footage here towards the end too, I noticed. Mm -hmm. And the salmon scenes are really colorful because obviously salmon meat is like that bright distinctive pink color but then also just as they're getting ripped apart by the bears there's blood all over the place and it's just this vibrant technicolor red and the bears are glistening you know they're all brown and the blue water it's just really colorful and and visually striking i want to see the the counter programming to this the one where we follow a salmon for a year only for it to be brutally torn apart by bear claws as it gets close to the place where it's going to spawn and lay eggs. I've seen something, a meme on Instagram along those lines of in the salmon documentary, you cheer for the salmon in the bear documentary, you cheer for the bear. <laughs> and I, I think that's telling. Yeah. I mean, it's all a product of human narrative. So they're engineering it so that you feel a certain way about the subject. Yeah, what is the salmon's name, John C. Riley? Tell us that. <laughs> I want to hear about Joey the Salmon and what he was doing. 
the year ends for Sky Scout and Amber, full bellies, and they head back up to the mountain. We get some more of that beautiful snowy mountain footage to hibernate. And that's how Bears by Disney Nature from 2014, directed by Alistair Fothergill and Keith Scholey, who have done a bunch of these Disney Nature documentaries, and narrated by John C. Riley. That's how that movie ends. So, Brian, any r- random thoughts? Uh, good things, not so good things. You just want to quickly throw in here before we pivot over to Grizzly Man. Yeah, I've got a few talking points that this one had me noodling on. So I like that in some ways it harkens back to an earlier era of Disney live action filmmaking. Like some of the first live action features that Disney as a company made were nature documentaries. They did one like about the desert and one about the arctic about like lemmings and stuff uh i think they were called like the travel life series or something i'm gonna bring this up here but like back in 1950 uh, the true life adventure series was the name of it so it's really like bringing back an old hallmark of the company which i think is kind of cool and this movie just had a lot of visuals in it that kept impressing me the shot of the avalanche just blew me away It took me back to the very first editing project that I ever did, which was a video to go along with a performance by the college band that I put together, like the orchestral band. Okay. And they were playing a tune called Reflections of Earth, which was from an Epcot show. And it was for the Pops concert, which was when the band would play like recognizable pieces of music from pop culture and it fell to me to put together the video montages to go along with the the pieces that got played and so this was the very first video editing that i ever did and i cut together scenes from planet earth to go along with reflections of earth the music so okay and one of the scenes that i worked in was the avalanche scene so obviously i can't lay any claim to the beautiful footage in planet earth (laughs) but i shamelessly pilfered it for this this video project and yeah avalanches man they're crazy i would not want to be in an avalanche but that we have the technological capacity to document them so that other people can safely witness them it's like wow humanity yeah seriously i saw a clip recently actually i think it was today It was just like a Reddit or Twitter. I can't remember where I saw it of someone filming a rock slide avalanche. So not a snowy avalanche, but uh, boulders rolling down with a cell phone. And they were kind of at the bottom and probably putting their life in danger to get this footage. And it is just crazy seeing these the sheer force of these rocks flying in the air, spinning, crashing down. I might have seen that. Did one, like, destroy a bridge? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I watched that. That was wild. I felt unsafe just watching it. There's so much force out there in nature. And the the last thing I'll say before we move on is I think it's a really good move in a nature-focused film to emphasize the cyclical nature of the seasons and how that ties into the cyclical nature of life and death and rebirth. You know, it's it's like Bambi from the 40s. It's, you open with the animals being born and then they head out into the world. And then 
here in Disney Nature Bears, it ends with them going back up into the mountain for another cycle of hibernation, and it's all going to start again. That's right. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I like that. It's like we think of nature as being, you know, the circle of life from The Lion King, where things, they go in cycle and they're also in balance with each other. And I think that this does a good job of capturing that. I think you're definitely right about that. Plum to seed to bud to plum, steady as the beating drum. Very nice. That's Pocahontas, right? That's correct. Yeah. So that's bears. Humans are completely transparent other than our narration from John C. Riley. Grizzly Man is more about the person filming it, but that had me thinking, the transition between these two had me thinking about our other nature documentary that we watched, Brian. I suppose I'll just interject that now. Were you thinking at all of My Octopus Teacher as, as we watched these movies? Oh, definitely. I listened back to our coverage right before I sat down to record this episode. Yeah. Just so I'm not repeating myself too much. But <laughs> a lot of similar connective tissue. You got a dude getting maybe just a little too close to the wildlife. Right. Because that is indeed the theme of Grizzly Man from 2005. A documentary by Werner Herzog, who he's German, right? I know he's he stereotypically German. Yeah, I wish I could do a better Werner Herzog impression than I. Yeah, he's got a very distinctive voice and a very cynical view of the world. Just kind of a distinct flavor about his movies, or at least that's by reputation. I, this might actually have been the first Herzog that I've ever seen. Have you seen any Werner Herzog movies prior to this, Brian? I don't think so. Uh, it's the same for me, though, that his reputation precedes him, like, tangentially. Yeah. Well, I've seen parodies of his style. And then he also plays a villain in The Mandalorian in the early episodes. Oh, interesting. He, he's after Baby Yoda. He says, I would like to see the baby. <laughs> So Grizzly Man um, is a documentary about the rise and demise of Timothy Treadwell. Timothy Treadwell is a bear lover. He's an educator and a documentarian who spent much of his adult life living with the bears in that same national park that the Disney nature documentary was in. I think it's Katmai National Park. So definitely some, some synergy, some parallels, although I would say the first like five to ten minutes of Grizzly Man... I was struck by how non-artful the footage was because, you know, we're going to get to it. But Treadwell was filming this stuff and he probably just had like a camcorder from the year 2000 when he was out there, as opposed to like the full budget 2014 Disney muscle behind it. Right. I, I made a Blair Witch Project joke because that's really what this feels like to me. I mean, it works on a lot of levels because one, he's just walking around out in the woods getting footage that way with his handheld camera. But also you have the whole framing device of they went into the woods with a camera and only the footage emerged. That's a really good point. It is quite a bit like that. Yeah, the, the found footage genre connection definitely clicked with me too. There's like an added layer to all of the footage we see shot by Treadwell because of his fate. And the movie does not leave it lingering too long exactly what his fate is. Uh, we, we learn right away that he has passed. And within, I would say, 10 or 15 minutes, we learn the nature of how he passed. 
while he was camping out with these bears in, I think it was 2003, he was attacked and eaten by a hungry bear in the fall. He got the inside story. (laughs) You've been saving that one. That's good. And this movie was made when Herzog got the tapes to about 100 hours of footage that Treadwell had shot and started assembling it, but also brought in interviews with some of Treadwell's friends and family and co-workers and turned what maybe at the outset would have been a pitch of like the inside story from a man who lived with the bears into like a pretty deep character study on Timothy Treadwell. Like Treadwell is very much the focus, not the bears of Grizzly Man. And Herzog comments pretty directly on the way that Treadwell and also by extension, I would say many other people who get really into conservation and taking care of wild animals, critical of this way that we kind of sentimentalize them and anthropomorphize them, like even specifically how he gave names to all of them and kind of prescribes these human thought processes and motivations to to all these bears that he spent his time with when they're wild animals living and acting like wild animals, even if we recognize something shared about our souls, about our natures with them, they are very much non-human. They're very animalistic because they're animals, you know? Uh, Pretty interesting. The movie, Herzog definitely comes down strictly on one side of this, but it does leave open, particularly with how much we hear from Treadwell's mouth and some of Treadwell's peers, kind of this other angle where maybe there we should we should be more respectful of these animals and and give them more dignity than just creatures out there trying to survive maybe there's a little more to them right yeah herzog makes this big speech at the end about how looking back at the footage i am convinced there is no secret world of the bears and that they don't have interiority, they don't have humanity, and ascribing personalities to them is foolish. But I think it's a little interesting, you know, in all of Treadwell's footage where he's like talking to the bears and getting really close to them and identifying them, that when he was ultimately attacked and eaten was later in the season than he was normally there after the bears that he quote-unquote knew had left to go hibernate. Like, these were a new crop of bears that had, like, waited later to come get their food, and so they were more desperate, and also they weren't the ones he was used to, and they weren't used to him. So maybe there was something to the idea that they had bonded to some extent. I don't know. No, I think, I mean, I think it's worth noting that there is obviously... I don't know if you want to call it irony, certainly metaphoric power in the way that Treadwell died doing the thing that, you know, living in the face of danger. And that's exactly how he died was being eaten by a bear that he lived with. But he did it for 13 years, I think I read. I I think that's what they quoted in the documentary. 13 years he did it without getting eaten. Did he just get lucky for those 13 years? Or, like you said, maybe he actually did find his place and understand something about these animals in a a deep and meaningful way. And 
actually come to to some some insight into the the truth about bears that that Herzog is kind of dismissive of. Because you're right, it's emphasized that it was not the same situation that he was normally living in that he died. So I don't know. It's pretty interesting. I kind of wish that Herzog probed that ambiguity a little bit more or like weighed both sides of the scales a little bit more because he he definitely very much comes down on the side that Treadwell was a fool for the ages. Mm -hmm. But you're right that it's at least got the interviews with his friends, his occasional collaborators. So let's let's dive into the movie. Uh, one, it's kind of hard to recap because it's told pretty non-linearly. It's not like we started his his youth and then work up to his death. We kind of hop around different parts of his life in a way that's pretty compelling because the viewer's perspective on Treadwell changes a lot as we learn more details about his life and, and hear more interviews and see more footage. We kind of get all these different angles on him. It's pretty, pretty fascinating. But some things that we know and we learn pretty early, he definitely was very much an animal lover, especially foxes and bears he spent his time with. And he spent all that time kind of like Jane Goodall living among the animals. He gave the impression that it was by himself, but he sometimes had companions with him, including a woman who was with him who also died at the same time that he died. And another thing that was really important to him is he spent a lot of time speaking at schools and libraries and teaching kids about bears and talking about his experiences living with them and showing footage they had filmed and describing the, the natural life cycle, like kind of some of the stuff we were just talking about, how, how there is this cyclical nature to, to life in the, the wilderness. And that's something that he talked about, but just a really fascinating figure. Brian, as we learned about him, was there anyone that Treadwell made you think of or anything that struck you about him? Yeah, a couple things. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts too. Well, first off, watching this footage and hearing him talk, he is not what I expected a grizzly man to look and sound like. Definitely not. The picture I had in my head was Dan Haggerty in the old Grizzly Adams TV show from the 70s with the big beard and the like fringed leather vest. You know, a mountain man. Yeah, yeah. Like somebody who's going to cook up some vittles. But Timothy Treadwell has got a little bit more of, like, Ken doll in him. <laughs> I don't know. He's got this high-pitched, lilting voice. And I just wasn't expecting it. And when it's a hundred hours of him walking around with his own camcorder footage, you, you just hear and you hear him a lot. Very distinctive way of speaking. One thing we learn gradually is that he does have, like, an adopted fake way of speaking that it was supposed to mimic an Australian accent. I would not have guessed that it was supposed to be an Australian, a fake Australian accent if the movie hadn't told me that, because it just sounded like a highly lilting is a good word. I was going to say like affected. There's like a flamboyance about it. But then the person that came to mind for me was Aaron Fector, who we went and met down in Florida Kind of in the sense that he's doing his own thing in isolation, very passionate about this niche project, and constantly talking about himself. Right. I think that's a terrific comparison. So I've worked with various entrepreneurs in my professional life, and something that they have in common is 
it must be like some sort of gene or something. I don't know exactly how one gets it, but basically what you're describing, like just looking at the world slightly differently and through like, you're like looking at everything through a different lens than every other person. And you just get like, you don't, or not interested in operating in like the normal, you know, hierarchy of society. And so you're kind of a disruptor of that. And these people are typically like really smart, but also just kind of weird and often, yes, kind of self-centered or self think a lot about their image and their place in the world. And it was weird how much I kind of recognized that personality type when I was listening to all of this footage. Vector, I think, is a, is an excellent example. I mean, he even talks kind of like Aaron, just kind of like manically going from thought to thought in some ways. I don't know. And one thing that really struck me is that also that Treadwell is not a stupid person. Like, he, he's kind of clownish in some ways, but he's definitely pretty smart and perceptive, but not necessarily interacting with other humans. Like, I don't know. He just, he clearly has a lot of knowledge about living in nature and the way that these animals behave and like that he's doing something different and, and daring, but it, it was, it's just kind of presented in a bizarre way. But the, the movie gradually kind of digs deeper into that psyche, into Treadwell's past and makes the case that Treadwell was pretty deeply troubled and that part of the reason that he lived with these animals was kind of as an escape and a coping mechanism from all of the challenges that he faced in his life. I would say the, the most harrowing and memorable segment of the film is we meet this coroner who was the one who, I guess, dealt with the remains of Treadwell and, and Treadwell's girlfriend, who also died at the same time. And he's clearly listened to the audio footage and is describing it. And man, this guy should have won an Oscar. This is like the bleak there. I was like just speechless watching this dude. He delivered everything very matter of factly, almost just with like a, a hair of theatricality to him. But like describing this bleakest, grimmest stuff but like with no uh, sense that what he was describing was just some of the most horrifying stuff that you would ever encounter, like about how the bear split his skull open and just all this stuff. This coroner, Brian, did you have any reactions to him? Mixed feelings. Okay. Because this is a big pulled punch. This footage is out there and we don't, we don't get it. We, we get it by hearsay. It's it makes me feel a little like the TV show Naked and Afraid, where it's like, OK, the premise is that there's naked people wandering the wilderness, but we can't see the naked people because that would cross a taboo line. But you're, you're titillating with your title and your subject and your posters and your marketing. But you, you can never deliver the one thing that you're talking about when you have a movie that's about a guy who gets eaten by a bear. They can't show you that. That's going too far. But it's like, well, then what are, what are we here for? So you think the movie is diminished by the fact that we only see people's reaction to the footage rather than seeing the footage itself? I will concede that that would be extreme to witness that. I think we should have the option. I think <laughs> it should be, uh, you know, we talked about unrated DVDs. Put it in the special features. 
we one thing we learn is that Herzog, we see him listening to it. So apparently the the moment that Treadwell died, the camera was rolling, but the cap was on the camera. So what exists is the audio, not the actual video footage. I mean, we we don't hear that that footage, but we do see Herzog listening to it for the first time and sort of describing it. And we kind of see from a profile his face dropping and like his body quivering in like revulsion. And then he immediately shuts it off and tells the friend who kind of owns the tape, a friend of Treadwell's, you need to destroy this and never listen to it as if it's like this horrible traumatizing thing. I almost feel like not hearing it kind of amplifies how horrible it is because it it forces us to imagine it rather than actually hearing it. Yeah, there could be something to that. Maybe not, though. I don't know. But yeah, I've mentioned several times my uh, love of the documentary Gates of Heaven. And this coroner reminded me of the kind of character that would be in an Errol Morris documentary about these really bizarre people on the fringes of society in different ways, but like that have an almost Mark Twain-esque sense of comedy about them and like the deranged way they capture some weird values of society. And I just thought this dude just was something else. And there's a couple other really memorable appearances, short appearances by different characters, uh, the one thing, by the way, I'll say about Gates of Heaven and the Errol Morris movies. So Gates of Heaven is about a pet cemetery, but he does not narrate it. It's in a completely unnarrated documentary. So, you know, obviously there's st- still authorial voice in the way that the footage is arranged and, and what was included and all that. But that one, unlike Grizzly Man, lets the viewer decide how idiotic the subjects are and versus how noble they are of that. So that was kind of a basis that I was using as a comparison. A couple other interesting things about Treadwell and his story. Brian, you watched Tiger King, right? Yes, I did. That was a key moment of early pandemic life. Yeah. Something that brought a lot of us together watching and discussing Tiger King. Definitely some Tiger King here too. You got the weird guy who's really into the specific animal, but even just little things made me think of it too. Like, it seemed like Treadwell had a lot of different girlfriends in his life and they were mostly like young women. And there's a whole thing about how one of the tiger people had like a whole sex cult. Uh, Do you remember that bit, Brian? Yes. So Doc Antle. That's right. Who I think at one point was arrested for something, but yeah, I mean, when you've got access to the powerful, dangerous animals, there's an allure to that. I was a little surprised, though, because Treadwell in a lot of this footage keeps complaining about how he doesn't have any luck with the women. And yet he's gotten multiple women to come with him in close proximity to bears and stay in a tent with limited resources. I think that's an accomplishment. (laughs) I think he's selling himself short. Yeah, we get some weird anecdotes about Treadwell's life. He was a competitive athlete in college. He was a diver, but then he suffered an injury and he got pretty deep into drugs. There's some bit where he apparently overdosed on heroin and only miraculously survived that incident. And then the weirdest little detail is that apparently he was almost cast in Cheers 
in the role that Woody Harrelson got and put Woody Harrelson on the map. So it's almost like we're living like the dark side of the Woody Harrelson dichotomy of like what happens if instead of getting that, your life spirals out of control and you end up living with grizzlies instead. Pretty wild. As the movie goes on, we get just weirder and weirder clips of Treadwell doing these foul mouthed rants at different things. Like he really hates the National Park Service, who basically doesn't want people doing exactly what he's doing. It has rules about it. And he's like, he's like, I'm I'm a dissident to the United States. I'm going to do what I say in protest. And I don't know, definitely just start to get more bizarre energy from this guy as the movie goes. Were there any specific episodes of this saga that stuck with you, Brian? Yeah, another person, uh, I don't know how deep to go with this, but someone that Treadwell made me think of is another horror host at the public access station where I made my show for a long time, who just always seemed to have this grand narrative for his own life that was maybe out of touch with reality. Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of that same entrepreneur energy. I had a lot of things that really stuck with me. There's one scene where he freaks out over some bear poop. It was inside of her, man. It was just inside of her just a minute ago. And this is a moment that made me think of my octopus teacher, where it basically seemed like the dude was in love with the octopus the whole time. It's like kind of fetishizing the animal. Yeah, it was a strange moment. Yeah. It reminded me of in Walk Hard when John C. Riley's sense of smell comes back and he says, I smell you, horse shit! <laughs> and he scoops it up and he's taking a big whiff. Because, I mean, Treadwell, he picks it up. He yeah. picks up the bear poop. And he's like, look! It's like, dude, you could just point at it. You could just zoom in with your camera. You don't have to pick it up. There's a whole thing where the watch was still on the, the severed hand of Treadwell. And I swear, like, I'm surprised that they didn't make this up. This sounds like something that would be in a satire of people like Treadwell. But basically, there's this whole ceremonial thing where the, the coroner hands it over to one of Treadwell's friends and she, like, cherishes it. Oh, it's still ticking from when he died. Just like really morbid, but treated as really sentimental. Just a totally bizarre thing. There's one moment that made me laugh out loud. Uh, Treadwell is like looking at a bee on a flower. And he goes on this whole monologue about how poetic it is that this bee just died. And then the bee gets up and starts buzzing and moving around. I don't know if we actually see the bee get up, but he's like, oh, well, I guess the bee's alive. Just completely undercuts the point that he had been making a moment ago. Another one is, it seems like later in his life, he got more paranoid about all these other people. And and that is like a thing towards the end of his life is like the last 10 minutes or so, we see the last couple weeks of his life. And that's what like Brian was saying, how he was out with these unfamiliar bears, more dangerous circumstances. But it seems like he just kind of snapped at human society and went back into the woods. And he seems to be angry at everyone. There's one really weird one where there's like, Somebody writes a, a note on the rock. It's like, hi, Treadwell. Here's a happy face. And Treadwell takes it as a like warning that somebody's trying to come kill him. And it, literally, he's zoomed in on a smiley face. He says, it's very, very freaking frightening, huh? Like he invokes some slasher villain. I forget which one, like Freddy Krueger or something like that. 
that this smiley face made him think of. Well, this was the scene that to me felt most like Blair Witch Project, <laughs> that there's somebody else out there leaving symbols for him to find. But you're right. A smiley face is a pretty silly one. And I think the movie ends on this thing that's kind of poetic and, and also just very silly, where this pilot, who is one of the first people we meet in the movie where he's describing how he found Treadwell singing some country song about like these lost legends. And he throws Treadwell's name into the lyrics as he's singing along. It's like as if Treadwell is not just some loony bin guy, but some figure worthy of legend. It had me thinking actually of Into the Wild. Have you read or seen that, Brian? I'm glad this came up because I wanted to talk about it too. I haven't seen the movie or read the book, I guess, but I know who Chris McCandless is. Okay. And it's basically the same story where this is a guy who decides to go off the grid and live out in the wilderness and ultimately dies from it. And the reputation he holds in pop culture is extremely polarized. There are people who are very impressed and kind of empathize with what he did. And then other people, quite a few, don't empathize at all. Just hold it up as an example of this guy did a stupid thing. It accomplished nothing. What do they say? Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Right. I think it's a good comparison because for that exact reason, it's like, do you find something heroic in this rejection of human society? Or do you just find it like a symptom of mental illness by an idiot who caused his own demise? Or could it simultaneously be both of those? I don't know. I, for one, would say I'm on the fence, but I can kind of see the arguments either way. Maybe we should watch that one sometime. Any other thoughts on Grizzly Man, Brian? Yeah, because, well, think about it. Like, Timothy Treadwell went out there and he did something that he was clearly passionate about, whether it was a sensible thing to do or not. We wouldn't have this footage if he didn't go out and do this. And Werner Herzog wouldn't have a movie. It's like, and he, he got 13 years of adventuring out of doing this. And ultimately it ended poorly. But like, how many years was the crocodile hunter on TV? It's like, did he make it to 13 seasons? I don't know. And ultimately an animal killed him. So there is danger out in the natural world. And you gotta think like I said earlier about what what resources do these people have access to you know the the crocodile hunter had the the whole discovery enterprise behind him or uh, I don't know if animal planet is technically connected but he's got cable money behind him and then Disney is a whole other ballpark it's like they've got helicopters they can fly over and they can do all kinds of things to create this experience treadwell was bootstrapping but the flip side of that is it, it also seems like he intentionally cultivated this image too. Like, could he have had more of institutional support? I mean, Herzog talks about this idea that Treadwell basically never, even when people were staying with him, he always made it seem like he was by himself when he filmed stuff. And that's the way he kind of talked about it. Even though, you know, we know from when he died that he had a, a woman with him 
And it wasn't the only time he ever had a woman out there with him. So I think some of that was self-imposed when it didn't have to be, too. Who knows? Sure. And I, I mean, I think we have to bear in mind that film is always constructed, especially documentary. It's always put together from an angle. Right. Reality refracted in a specific vision, assembled in a way to make you think a certain thing. What, what is that the effect where the one that we've talked about, where like you show the same image, but with a different thing, either before it or after it, and it totally changes the way people interpret that initial image. Yeah, that's, that's part of it. I mean, I, that's kind of the nature of editing. It's right. like the way that images are strung together is going to make you think and feel certain things. Right. There's always some level of artifice, even when it's held up as reality. Whether or not you're naming bears. So, Brian, any other good things or not so good things you want to mention? Or are you ready to answer whether or not these movies are good? I think I'm ready. All right, Brian. So uh, we'll start with Bears from 2014 by Disney Nature. It, Brian, is Bears good? Is Bears good? Are Bears good? <laughs> And I'll remind listeners, are, is it good is our signature section where we each give the movie a rating on our eight point goodness scale ranging from very not good, a one out of eight to our masterpiece rating toward the good, an eight out of eight. Uh, shout out to Amelie, one of our listeners who pointed out that at least me, I, I don't know about you, Brian, but always mispronounce toward the good. It should be I say toward day good usually, but it's like toward the force, not toward day force, toward the good. So there we go. Toward the Good is our 8 out of 8 masterpiece rating. But anyways, Brian, is Bears good? I'm going to say that Bears from Disney Nature is very good. I was repeatedly blown away by just how beautiful all this footage is. And every time I stepped back to think, wow, a person got that shot. Which is something that kind of hide and and try to keep out of your thoughts but it's like people had to think through how to get these things on camera and then go out and do it and what an achievement that is and the the colors just kept impressing me so that's where i'm at on this one i thought i thought very good 6 out of 8 what about you dan so i'm on the fence between a five and a six, a good and a very good. Um, I really love the footage. I really like bears. The flip side of it is that it's just the footage that's interesting here. The story about the, I, I don't know, it's just like a very loose framing device that didn't really have me invested. I was more here just to see the the absolutely incredible footage of, of wildlife and these animals and just so much artistry and expertise went into it. I'm going to land on a very high good, a five out of eight, with possibility that I'll reconsider that and bump up to a very good at some point if I watch it again or if I think more about it. But I will say that I soured only slightly on it when I subsequently watched Grizzly Man, and it basically deconstructed the exact things that Bears 2014 was trying to do as bizarre human things to do. Um, so that's why I landed on 
the lower half of that that good to very good line. So, but I, I do think you're right. I think it, it's beautiful and it, and it does a great job of making the the human factor somewhat transparent, but also like a lot of artistry to it. It's very well constructed and evoking really interesting and powerful visual things in nature. That's bears. Brian, what about Grizzly Man? Is Grizzly Man good? And one last thing I want to say about bears from 2014 is that I did give a six to my octopus teacher, so it had to get at least that high. (laughs) Yeah. Did you? You might have bumped that down in a spectacular. I can't remember. Maybe I did. But still, that's a good starting point, I think. Okay, what about Grizzly Man? Should I go first on that one, too? Yeah, Brian. So is is Grizzly Man good? All right. So for me, Grizzly Man falls just a hair behind. I'm going to give it a five out of eight, a good. Because, again, I'm impressed that a person just spent so much of their life to get this footage that we're seeing. And then the reflection on it is thoughtful. It's very critical when without this footage Herzog wouldn't have his movie it's 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 like a parasitic endeavor I think but on the other hand it's like if if Treadwell isn't around to put his footage together anymore who's gonna do it and and maybe there is something to be said about the foolishness of of what he did Uh, so I'm on the fence a little bit but it's a testament this footage didn't disappear into the ether what are your feelings, Dan? So I'm going to give Grizzly Man a high, exceptionally good. I really, really was struck by this movie. I think it does an amazing job um, deconstructing human impulses in different ways and things about the human condition and the nature of us as humans and what separates us from animals. And I don't know, like the different ways we can think about nature. It's also just terrific black comedy at times and just very stirring. I don't know. Like the footage itself is obviously nowhere near as technically impressive as the bears one. But to me, this is an example of how, if you have a powerful thought, that's more important than having incredible footage. I say the one thing holding me back from a tour day good, sorry, tour Doug good is that I wish uh, Herzog was just a little more neutral and a, a little bit more ambivalent in presenting both sides. I still think you're able to get both sides of that um, because I do think there is a lot to deconstruct both positive and negative in a lot of different ways you can spin it. And I do wish that that we could have seen some reflection on the other side of it too, although I do think it is there in the footage and the friends and stuff. But man, just talk about a, a terrifically constructed, thoughtful, just memorable unique portrait that takes this really remarkable, if not beautiful footage about this really interesting person and, and tells a story with it that really forces you to think about deeper things. And yeah, it has a, has an entertainment factor to it in just the bizarre nature of the people that we're, we're encountering. So I think this movie is tremendous. Um, and and something special. So I'm I'm landed just south of a masterpiece, uh, a seven out of eight, and exceptionally good, and a high exceptionally good, I would say. 
For sure, it's not something you see every day. No, it, it's something really unusual. Probably put it slightly ahead of as I was moving ahead. Occasionally, I saw brief glimpses of beauty, which as to date is at least highest rating I've given to a documentary thus far. But they both kind of use their format to to, to give lenses into something about the uh, lived experiences of the their subjects. Man, now I'm now I'm wondering what would Jonas Mikas do with a bear documentary? <laughs> or what would Wheeler Dixon do? What would Orson Welles do in his bear documentary? Oh, that's right, because we talked about that for fake too. A quote unquote documentary. B for bear. <laughs> I need a whole list of alternate titles for this episode. As I was, man, so what do bears do? Do they lumber around? As I was bearing ahead. Occasionally saw occasionally I saw brief glimpses of bears. Yeah. Um, but that's that's bears and grizzly man. Uh, my first violent ends episode. Thank you for indulging me, Brian. And uh, before we wrap, I want to shout out that I am launching a written review site as sort of a companion to the podcast. Uh, that is thegoodsreviews.com. The site is titled The Goods Film Reviews, at least for now. It, it will be quote-unquote launched by the time you are hearing this. So if you like your to read written reviews as well as listen to the podcast, I encourage you to come check out my site and give me some feedback. I, I have a couple hundred reviews up there already, and I'm going to be trying to post a new one every day for as long as I can sustain that pace, which we will see how long that actually is. I do have a few in the can, but I'm pretty excited about it, Brian. That's ambitious. I'm glad that you've found a project that speaks to you. Yeah. I'm a little surprised that you, you felt the urge to throw even more work behind what we're doing here. You know, I don't know what to say, except I'm a glutton for punishment and overcommitting to things. So we'll see. We'll see if it lasts. It's, it's an experiment, just like the podcast is an experiment, but the podcast is still around. Maybe the site will stick around too. Who knows? Yeah. For those who don't know, I suppose if you listen to every episode, you probably know, but every movie Dan watches, he assigns a rating on our scale. So there's actually an enormous corpus of films that have been graded using this metric. Yeah, it's close to 500. Wow, I didn't know it was that many, but it's degrees of infinity. It's like you've got what's actually truly been covered on the podcast, and then you've got the ones that Dan has felt strongly enough about to write a review, and then outside of that, you've got just every single thing he's watched. It's like uh, the, the different levels of canon in Star Wars. <laughs> the different level of is it goodness. But Brian, what will we be watching and discussing on the podcast next week? I'm glad you asked, Dan, because the next film on the docket comes to us from 1965. It's called The Great Race. Are you familiar with this one? No, I've never even heard of it. All right, so this has got Jack Lemmon in a starring role. I think last seen when we covered The Apartment a while back. That's right, yeah. This one, not as critically acclaimed. It's kind of a road show. It, like, I think it's almost three hours long. It's a little long. 
but not two movies this week, just one. And it's kind of a parody and an homage to old silent era melodramas with mustache twirling villains. That's who Jack Lemon is playing in this, a character named Professor Fate. Cool. Well, I'm excited to give it a try. And we can maybe talk about other movies in the similar vintage that we've seen or can think of. Oh, certainly. Because it, it kind of has its, its tendrils and its legacy in popular culture as well. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Brian. And thank you very much, listeners, for, for joining. As I mentioned, if you want to check out thegoodsreviews.com, I would appreciate it. And of course, tell your friends about the pod, join our Discord, all that. Love to hear from you. And Brian, I will see you next week. It was fun as always, Dan. Thanks, listeners. Thank you.